Today's episode of The Boarding Pass is brought to you by Game Time. Okay folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think that Winnipeg Jets tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue, it can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in just two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the second episode ever of The Boarding Pass, a Winnipeg Jets podcast through The Athletic where you can get the latest news, in-depth deep dives, and more conversation from myself, Murad Atesh, and as always, Ken Weeb, The Athletic Winnipeg's newest free agent signing. Today, Ken joins me fresh off of Winnipeg's first road trip, and he's at Bell MTS Place on the eve of Winnipeg's home opener. Ken, one of my favorite things I read from you this week was your seven observations piece, which featured news on the defense, Ville Hainala, Patrick Laine, all of these topics. What have you taken away from the first week of Jets hockey? Yeah, it's certainly been interesting here. Marat, uh, and building is buzzing here. We're going to have a little bit of uh, interesting background noise. They're doing a little bit of the sound checks and all those fun things that go into the openers. But uh, we had a chance to see a couple of uh, lid lifters on this road trip with uh, the New York Rangers and New Jersey Devils, both uh, hosting the Jets in their home openers. Lots of interesting storylines. We weren't quite sure what we were going to see. And uh, the old classic line about a box of chocolates uh, would sort of describe the Jets so far. Just don't know what you're going to get. Uh, the old uh, Forrest Gump line, I think, was pretty uh, pretty apropos, <laughs> if you will, uh, for that first trip. Uh, I would say that 2-2 uh, two and two record, I mean, it was. it's funny, the first two games... Jets could have been 0-2 uh, quite easily, and you also could have made the argument they could have been 2-0. and But, uh, you know, overall they probably got what they deserved, uh, if you will. But, uh, I mean, the play of Patrick Laine for me, I think let's start there, Murad. I mean, I think obviously there were tons of questions about how much time it might take for uh, Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor to get acclimated after missing all of training camp. Sure, Laine was skating with the pro team uh, and all of that jazz, but... You just never know. I mean, obviously, Jacob Truba came back ready to go when, uh, when he had his contract still made a few years earlier. But Alani has just been excellent out of the gate. And not just the fact that he has six points, including five assists. But for me, it's all the things that he's doing away from the puck that have really caught my attention. I mean, we saw some signs of it down the stretch. But, uh, I mean, the way that he has played uh, just has really been probably one of the most impressive things to me. And the fact that... I mean, there's always been the debate about whether or not he should be playing with Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler. We have no idea if that's going to stick together for much longer than the four periods. But uh, if he plays the way that he has so far, uh, he's certainly going to make it a lot easier for Paul Maurice to roll him out there with those two uh, elite-level passers uh, if he continues to play the, the way that he has so far. I really liked uh, his assertiveness, uh, getting in on the forecheck. I uh, made a couple of really impressive hustle plays uh, early in the season here. And, I mean, it's just it's just been impressive to watch. I mean, uh, what are your observations on number 29 so far? Can I tell you something about him? 
I'm actually backing off of the idea that he should absolutely play with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler on that top line, which is where I'm sure he would have wanted to start the season, where I've written to the effect that that's a good good position for him. Uh, he's, he's loaded up the assists in a per-minute sort of fashion on that line before, and they did perform better than the Kyle Connor version, though the context would have been much, much different last season. Um, there... The thing that I've noticed about Patrick Laine this year is the same as you. There's there's forecheck to his game. There's puck recovery to his game. I wrote about it after the crazy comeback in New Jersey. There was a chemistry between him, particularly and Andrew Kopp, though Kyle Connor played a big role in that too, where Andrew Kopp is chipping and chasing, winning battles, making space for Patrick Laine, who is also using his body to win battles, and then create opportunities. And that was a major reason for the comeback uh, against New Jersey. It was a thing that was going for the Jets in the following game to that as well. And then because Laine has been playing so well, perhaps, and the, the line shuffling has happened, he's gotten that promotion that he's been campaigning for. Meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, if he and Andrew Kopp can make a second line hum then maybe maybe that spot up top should be belong to Nick Ehlers right now, or maybe even Kyle Connor down the stretch, which I which I'm sure Paul Maurice will go back to. I, I think Line has played well enough that he he can honestly pick his line mates because the, the delivery has been so good. And I'm not sure that he should be up there anymore, just because the, the two of them have been able to make it work on line two. What does that make does that make any sense to you? It does. And and for me, uh, Murat, I would say the other piece of that puzzle uh, so far, I mean, Nick Ehlers is playing incredibly well, and so is Line. I think there were some flashes for Kyle Connor, uh, especially in his third period against the New York Islanders where he had the two partial breakaways and probably had uh, four high-danger chances for himself. I mean, uh, outside of the first uh, first game where he got the goal, I don't think that Kyle Connor has played at the level we're kind of accustomed to seeing from him. So... Uh, I could easily, uh, you know, get on board with the, an argument that maybe Kyle Connor uh, could go up and get his own game going by playing with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. But uh, yeah, right now, I mean, it's a, it's a good quotation mark uh, problem to have for Paul Maurice. Uh, he has three more than capable people uh, available to him to play in that role on the top line, and uh, right now. I would say Line and Ehlers are playing a little bit better than Connor, but again, it's so early and the sample size is so small. And this is not to suggest that Kyle Connor is playing poorly. I just think that he has another level to reach, and, and that's natural considering the amount of time that he missed in preseason uh, and training camp. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting. I mean, I also, when I asked Paul Maurice about Patrick Line's play uh, through the first four games at the end of that Penguins game, he also gave that not so subtle delivery that. He didn't think he was even at his peak level and he was kind of getting by on talent, but he, he loved what he'd seen in terms of all the extra effort and the compete level, but uh, he thinks that Line has an even higher level to reach, and I think that would probably apply to Kyle Connor's game right now as well. Yeah, and you, you begin to wonder a little bit. I mean, this is such an easy narrative trap to fall into, but it's also reality. Did their extended summers affect anything in their gameplay? Um, for me, I, I think I noticed it the most when uh, one of these players has the puck particularly in their wheelhouse with a chance to score and maybe just the timing on the shot isn't what we would normally expect from him. Um, and I think that Patrick Laine was maybe a victim of that for his first couple of games and then that wrister that went bar down uh, was just unstoppable, I, I, I think. So I think maybe that's coming around. It's a really interesting world where Nick Ehlers is winning battles on the wall, where... Uh, Ehlers and Connor are both on the positive side of 50% possession-wise. 
And then the interesting thing that I think when that starts to happen is you've got a former second line center in Brian Little who at some point eventually is going to be healthy and, and come back. And you've seen him skating in a non-contact jersey of late. Uh, so what happens when he returns? Do you give the second line back to him yeah. where there's been some issues? Or maybe can he be the one instead of Andrew Kopp that helps Adam and Lowry out to maybe generate a little bit more two-way responsibility on that third line? Yeah, I certainly could advocate for that also. I mean, I asked Paul Maurice, and he wasn't ready to commit to either one of those plans quite yet, except that he said there was a plan, and that that plan, at least in the initial part, would uh, would include Brian Little playing at centre just because of the comfort factor uh, with him coming back from a concussion. He wants to put him in a position where he's a little bit more uh, used to where he needs to go. I mean, he has played on the wing before, yes, but uh, his primary position has been centre. So... When you have a guy coming back from an injury like a concussion, obviously that made sense to me. But naturally in my head, I'm wondering, well, does that mean he'd consider moving Adam Lowry to the wing? Uh, I think the Jets need to find a way to get Adam Lowry more involved, whether that means reuniting him with Andrew Kopp or playing him with Brian Little. Uh, Regardless, uh, he needs more ice time. 12 minutes and 30 seconds the other night against the Penguins, that's just simply not enough for me. Uh, Yes, he did manage to get 10 hits, and I think he was an effective player in that limited amount of ice time, but... This guy's, uh, I mean, he basically was the Jets' second-line center last year, for lack of a better term. So uh, I'd like to see him continue to uh, to play a little bit more, and I think that will happen once Little is back in the lineup, no matter what the decision uh, is regarding Lowry. Well, yeah, if you're into the possession stat side of thing, which I don't think any of us should really overcommit to this four games into the season, it's usually about you know 15 or 20 before these things really have a tremendous amount of meaning. But... Adam Lowry is at 44.4% of the on-ice shot attempts. So Winnipeg has been outshot uh, more with him on the ice than this season so far than at any point last season that I'm aware of. Uh, and the only full-time Jet who's worse than that right now is Mark Letestu. So I'm at the point where I think we can agree that Brian Little and Andrew Kopp, no matter what that solution is, would be an upgrade for Lowry in terms of the line mates that he's getting. Uh, in terms of that sort of heavy lifting type job that you would normally expect him to be capable of, because he is an important part of the core and he is an important part of Paul Maurice being able to coach the game that he really wants uh, in terms of matchups and otherwise. So I'm imagining that he needs help in a, in a big way and either of those men are going to be an upgrade. There is a one of the observations you made that I wanted to, to follow up on in, in your most recent uh, piece, and it's on the power play. It's a little bit early, but they're cruising along at, I think you quoted, 11.1%. We're not used to that. Why is that happening? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think a lot of that would have to do, for me, with the changes at the top of the uh, of the power play here. Obviously, Dustin Bufflin not here. Josh Morrissey missing two of those four games. Uh, that thrust Neil Pionk into uh, to that PP1 role that, uh, I mean, we knew there was a potential he would be on it, but probably not this early, so... Uh, their puck distribution, I don't think, has been quite as dangerous uh, for me. I mean, I think the second units had a lot better luck on their entries uh, because of the one-man zone entry of Nikolai Ehlers. But uh, I don't think the Jets have had generated enough of those quality looks from either the high slot or from the one-timer position that Line occupies. So, uh, oddly enough, we'll see if it uh, rears its head in the game against the Wild here tonight. There were some uh, changes to the power play uh, look this morning, Marat during the morning skate uh, was more of the informal quality, but they had uh, Blake Wheeler working on the uh, left wing half wall 
and Lionet on the other side. And it was actually Kyle Connor at times uh, in the high slot. So uh, I wonder if I wonder if that's a plan B if the uh, usual. Uh, setup doesn't work or if that is going to be something that we see right out of the gate here tonight if the Jets get their first power play I mean obviously in the last game against Pittsburgh they did not have a power play so um, unbeknownst to us if that was something they were already considering beforehand or if this is something that has been drawn up here on the off day for the Jets so uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that here tonight and I'm sure you will be as well yeah that's a a key variation And, and that's one thing that Paul Maurice has sort of promised on and off, I would say over the last two years since the Wheeler on the right wing half wall uh, system was developed was that originally there were a couple of looks where they imagined uh, the right-handed shooters like himself, Shifley, Line, uh, and even Dustin Bufflin when available rotating through. At the beginning of this season, he spoke to variation as well. And I think when you're running at 11.1%, it's a good idea to mix it up as much as possible. There's a play... I believe it was the Columbus Blue Jackets courtesy John Tortorella, but there is a play on the power play I saw within the last week where the player in Blake Wheeler's position passed to the Kyle Connor below the goal line position, who then immediately looped around the net and fired a below the goal line to center slot pass. And there's been a little bit of demand or movement in the analytics community about these low to high passes because it's been deemed one of just like going cross ice across the seam in, increases your odds of scoring you got a goaltender that's got to move across the ice going from low to high changes the goaltender's sight line he's got to track the pass he's got to set for something where he's looking over his shoulder um the math has shown that these are uh, are shot types that really crank up the odds that you're going to score a goal and i've always wondered to myself because Kyle Connor, despite his offensive gifts, is kind of an afterthought when he plays beside the goaltender and he has kind of a pivot move that he uses towards the front of the net. He might pass it into the slot from that position. Sometimes he'll sneak across. But I think that the one untapped piece of variation uh, to the Jets' power play top unit is probably Kyle Connor. And if, as you're saying, they're looking for for different looks where where he plays a a shooting role or otherwise... Uh, I think it's a good thing. I think that the more different looks defenses have to sort of respect from the Winnipeg Jets, the more that the traditional roots will open themselves up. Um, what did he look like in, in that role, in, in your opinion, in that shooting spot? Yeah, I mean, there were no defenders uh, out there, so it's tough to say how it's going to set up in terms of the spacing and whatever else. We know that Mark Shifley is a, obviously a brilliant passer down low if that's where he ends up being, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's been times where Kyle's been able to get himself available by sliding out to that back door for a tap-in or the odd time he does go with a quick curl from uh, from at the goal line to get himself a shot, but it's hard to really get loaded for a good shot in that regard. Uh, I mean, obviously, Connor has a quick shot, a quick release, but, I mean, for me, I think that Shifley's release is, uh, is so good that I would personally not take him out of that slot position, but... I mean, we'll have to see in the game to see uh, what it opens up. I think it's just probably to give, like you mentioned, another couple of uh, situations where you have to respect uh, the opponent. I know we've seen the interchanges with Line and Shifley at times where Line is the guy in the slot and uh, Shifley uh, is in the one-timer position. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, that's if it's not clicking, you got to try something different. I mean, I don't think we're going to see the, the Jets kind of reinvent the wheel. They've been very successful on the power play the last two years, and I mean, and it's even when the opponent knows it's coming. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to abandon their principles in that regard. But I do think it's smart uh, to get a couple of different looks as well. And we'll see uh, what those different looks generate if we if we do see them here 
tonight. But what, what we'll also see is Josh Morrissey uh, move back onto that power play one unit, and and they'll go from there. And I mean, in terms of the second unit, I mean, Vili Hainola is obviously one of the one of the storylines I wrote about, and we've talked about so much from the beginning. Uh, he's about to play his fifth game, and I mean, number nine and ten are creeping up quickly, and. I just don't see how you could make the argument that that the Jets aren't going to... I mean, again, things can change between games 5 and 10, but, I mean, man, I have a hard time imagining the Jets' defense core without Vili Hainola in it, I mean, at least from what we've seen through the first four games. Yeah, I've just checked the calendar just to confirm. So if Vili Hainola continues to play every single game like they're running him, I guess that makes it October the 20th at home against the Edmonton Oilers. That would be game 10 for him and it really enforce that decision that, yeah, they're going to they're gonna use up a year of his entry-level contract and keep him with the team. It is kind of interesting to me that just by quirks of the schedule, there's an extra day off. There's two full days off between their previous game, which is the Islanders on the 17th and the Oilers on the 20th. So we're going to have, we could have a full weekend, depending on what the team announces, to, to sort of really chew on that. But I think I'm with you. I, I, I think that based on what we've seen so far, I mean, he's up to three points. Uh, his possession stats are, are sort of normal in, in terms of comparing to the rest of the Jets right now. Uh, the, the new defensive scheme in the neutral zone where the team is really focusing on stepping up aggressively uh, at its own blue line to sort of protect against zone entries. He's as committed to it as the veterans are as well. So I think he's showing a certain degree of, of coachability there. Um, so, man, it, it, he's almost in the exact opposite situation of, of another player, David Gustafson, who hasn't quite been able to carve that out. And I'm wondering what you read into, into the position difference there, because... You know, if you're into the prospects and into projecting into the future, you might prefer a Gustafson-type player to get minutes over uh, perhaps a Mark Latestu or, or someone else uh, down down towards the end of that roster. So what do you read into into the dichotomy here? Yeah, and then just one last quick one with uh, with Hainola is that, uh, I mean, we do have to consider that the Jets, I mean, the bigger number now for teams and using, citing the Leon Dreisaitl example, I mean, they're not, sure, they would burn the year of the ELC, but in terms of the arbitration rights and all those other CBA factors, I mean, he could spend beyond the 10 games. That's not necessarily the only number the Jets are looking at, but, I mean, it would it would, it would would sort of fast forward the process in terms of when he would be coming out of the ELC, I guess. But, I mean, for me, I, I'll be completely honest, which I try to be all the time, but uh, I'm shocked is maybe not the right word, but I am definitely surprised that David Gustafson has not got himself into the lineup yet. I understand that part of the reason maybe he made the opening day roster is because Brian Little was hurt, but, I mean, based on how he played in the preseason, I feel like David Gustafson's game is suited for the Jets' style, and... Uh, his ability to skate, I mean, he's not a burner, but his smarts and hockey sense and all of those things that are a factor when you're learning a system like this, I think that Gustafson could actually really flourish in this kind of situation. So uh, I am surprised he hasn't gotten in as the fourth-line center, but, uh, I mean, that's based on how we've, we've known Paul Maurice to run his bench. I mean, on occasion, he has favored the veteran player. So in this situation, that's been... Good news for Gabriel Bork and Mark Letestu and bad news for David Gustafson. But uh, will that last? And, I mean, if Little is another step closer to playing, I mean, a natural next step would be to return him uh, to his team back in Sweden. But I am surprised that he hasn't gotten into the lineup yet, and I, I do think that he could make a contribution. I mean, 
again, I'm not ready to say that, yes, David Gustafson is ready to be a full-time NHLer right at this instance, but I'm surprised he hasn't been given a chance or an opportunity to get a look uh, in that sort of situation so far, uh, especially based on what we saw from him in the preseason where he seemed to be handling the the systems elements uh, of things really well. And even the one game where he was used with more offensive line mates, I thought he, he really looked good. Yeah, we're, and we're in a unique part of this situation or of this schedule. Part of me, where we're about to get into a stretch of home games. We have Minnesota tonight at home, uh, and then Chicago on Saturday, and then five games in a row at Bell MTS Place. And I'm, I'm wondering if that might be a, one of those situations where a regular practice schedule, no travel, um, all these home games in a row gives the coaching staff and the players sort of a, an opportunity to reset their routines and maybe begin to look at new options because I think that one of the things that happens to most coaching staffs is that once you get to the fringes of a roster you've already made your key decisions you, you your top six your top four your matchups the the tweak you're going to make on the power play that night and maybe by the time that you get to those edges it's easier to run with the veteran and run with the 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 person that you know uh, or can expect a certain degree of consistency from uh, it's going to make your life easier whether the the results are superior or not and that's just my personal theory but i i'm thinking that an extended homestand like this should be an opportunity for everybody to sort of catch their breath and maybe look at, at opportunities for folks like him um there's uh another player in sami niku who i i, I believe is going to be left out of the lineup tonight uh and so now on twitter the the audience that that i tweet to has definitely been up in arms about that today vis-a-vis uh, -vis Anthony Bittetto and otherwise. And um, I'm wondering if you want to, maybe let's take some time and zoom in on, on these guys and, and what we've seen from the from the Jets defense core over the first little while. And, and I guess I'll put it to you and, and start with Bittetto after giving my own opinion, which is that he's been aggressive in the neutral zone. He's adapted to the system in terms of stepping up and his gap has more or less been on par with a lot of the other Jets. And I, I can get into that in a little bit. Uh, because I've been tracking some things. I'll leave that alone for now. Uh, but it's in the zone where he's appeared flat-footed or a step behind the play, and there's been a couple of goals that have been given up. Uh, at the same time, he's rocking uh, like a 56.6% .6 shot attempt, so he's been on the ice <laughs> for more shot attempts for the Jets than otherwise, so maybe it's a little bit early to panic. Uh, I don't really know what to make of it quite yet. What do you think of all that? Well, I think that Paul Marie's touched on it today. I think uh, one of the... Uh points of discussion around the Jets defense core in losing uh, Ben Sherratt and Dustin Bufflin so far and uh, Tyler Myers is that there is not a lot of physicality on the back end and uh, that would be one of the elements that Anthony Batetto brings and we're not talking about the Dion Phaneuf kind of open ice hit to scare opponents that sometimes leads to scoring chances but that element of you know clearing the front of the net and the physical play uh, things of that nature I think those are things that Batetto does bring I mean yeah I understand that his uh, you know his uh, his possession numbers to this point of his career have not been very good uh, be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt I mean I know that on the one specific turnover that led to a goal uh, I believe it was against the Devils I mean Tucker Pullman did not put Anthony Batetto in a great spot it was Batetto's turnover that led directly to the goal but that was one of those miscommunication plays where I think both partners were kind of at fault. So, uh, sure, I mean, Potato over Niku, did we expect that going into the year? I wouldn't have expected it, and I don't think that you have either. Uh, again, I would just say that it's very early. The free, I would say it's a bit early for the free Niku movement. 
to have an uprising. <laughs> but I do agree. I understand where it's coming from. Uh, I think this is, we got to remember still, this is a player getting up to speed after missing most of training camp. I mean, uh, will it be permanent? No. I mean, will Nico have a chance to earn his, earn his job in the top six? I think he will. I mean, let's look at Carl Dahlstrom. The guy played essentially what was on the top pairing against the Penguins, played 24-37. He's a healthy scratch today. I mean, this is, uh, this is, this is part of life in the uh, National Hockey League when uh, things are, are kind of happening. So, uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see and monitor how things go as they move along. But, uh, I mean, for sure, I mean, it's something we're going to be having a close look on as we move along. I mean, I thought that Tucker Pullman played his best game of the season by a landslide. I mean... Was it a coincidence his partner was Vili Hainola? No, but I thought his decision-making was a lot better and his defensive play was solid, and uh, he used his mobility and puck-moving ability uh, to his advantage, and, and it led to some positive results for him beyond the goal itself. So um, the defense uh, core is in flux. It will be continued to be that way, and we'll see how things shake down as they continue to roll here. Uh, for the record, to anybody listening, I accept any and all ats with the free Niku hashtag. Um, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the the unbiased numbers sort of focused person, but I've somehow become uh, completely biased towards any and all things finish. So by all means, hit me with those hashtags. I will participate in that. Even though <laughs> deep down, can I do agree that there there is a certain element of it's early and it's chaotic. Uh, to, to what's going on right now um, on, on the defense. And you gave some good examples for that. There's a reference that I like to make, and I bring it out every time that the Jets have an injury situation that sort of piles up and, uh, and sort of cascades on itself. And it's that old Simpsons episode where they're playing baseball and they bring in the recruits from the Major League Baseball and one by one something crazy and fantastic happens to every single uh, ringer except for Daryl Strawberry that keeps them out of playing. And, and I think that we're almost at that point with, uh, with Josh Morrissey missing a couple of games, and I, I, now I know he'll be back, where Winnipeg has had some pretty interesting reasons for players not playing so far. So with bringing that back to Sami Niku, I'm just going to suggest that maybe he's got sideburns or something like that, and Simpsons fans will get that. Otherwise, I've just <laughs> wasted your last 30 seconds or so. Um, there, there's another thing from your observations piece that, uh, that I really wanted to get into, and that's Mark Shifley, because we've talked about him in a few respects, and I don't think you can ever talk about the Winnipeg Jets without talking about their franchise centerman, their superstar on the top line. Um, one thing I forgot to mention earlier that I'll throw in here, I like him in the center slot on that power play too. Uh, I think one of the things that he does so well compared to other players, that even at the NHL level, is his timing. He gets man-marked so tightly in that spot very often, but he kicks off at times that fool opponents. And I asked him a little bit about that not too long ago. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write on that. But one of the reasons why he said he felt like he was comfortable in that is because he grew up playing basketball and lacrosse. And he was talking about V-cuts and he was talking about timing and, and beating your one-on-one -on -one coverage. And, and he was explaining why he thought that those things helped him in that situation. Um, and we can get more into to that. I, I'd love to write about that. But first up, you were talking about Shifley versus Crosby, sort of at that upper echelon. And I think if the Winnipeg's going to have success, no matter what its defense is this season, Mark Shifley at times is going to put the team on its back more often than he doesn't. What have you seen from him so far this season? 
Yeah, it's been an interesting start for Mark Scheifele. Obviously, uh, he is tied for the team lead in scoring with uh, you know one goal and six points, same as Patrick Laine. But, I mean, for me, what stood out was how Paul Maurice referenced his work ethic in that Islander game, in a game where the Jets really didn't have a lot going for them after the first period, which was fairly even. Uh, things, the kind of, let's just, let's not kid ourselves, the roof kind of caved in on them to a degree, but... Uh, Maurice liked the way that Shifley battled through that, and I, I think that Mark Shifley plays his best when he is going up against another superstar. We know that, I mean, he has trained with Connor McDavid. I mean, he has an enormous amount of respect for Sidney Crosby, but, I mean, let's let's go back to last year where, where everyone was asking Mark Shifley about Austin Matthews when he came through the town. I mean, Mark Shifley, as a, as a three years consecutively, been a point-plus-per-game point player, and he was being asked about all the other guys, and I think there was a what-about-me kind of element at play there to a certain degree. Mark would never say it publicly, but, I mean, he's a guy that is pushing to not only be an elite-level center, but to be among the best players in the National Hockey League. And uh, the other night against Crosby, I thought that we saw that really well. I mean, what an excellent job uh, Shifley did down low I mean against Eric Goodbranson to win that puck battle and to find Vili Hainola for that one timer for his first NHL goal I mean he embraces those matchups it's something that he had talked openly about since coming into the league wanting to go up against Ryan Getzlaff Jonathan Taves all the elite centers and I mean he's certainly shown that he can be included in that class I mean yes things did dip for him during the second half or last 30 games 25 to 30 last year but he still put up career highs and goals and points and that's why I said going into the year one of my predictions that you and I made was Shifley hitting a 100 point mark I mean obviously you have to produce at a high clip for a long time but I really think that his offensive ability and his willingness to embrace that two-way game are two big factors in him being able to chase that 100 point mark but the one impressive part is that none of those points have come on the power play he's got six even strength points and we expect that the power play will start clicking as it moves along. So I think Mark Scheifele's ability to pile up points will only increase as the power play gets moving. That's a solid, solid point about even strength play. The last thing that I'll say on Scheifele, it sort of just came into mind while you were talking about how his attitude matters so much to his performance. Every now and again, when he's going to line up against a Bergeron or a Crosby or, or one of those lines that's firing, he'll get the question from reporters, so what do you think of this line that's clearly excellent and what's it like to match up against that line? And I think more than once I've heard Shifley respond, well, we're a pretty good line too. <laughs> yeah. For Ken Weeb, I'm Murad Atesh. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, including a deep dive into Winnipeg's zone entry prevention, some discussion about the goaltending, and really what's going to matter for this team to make a serious playoff run, if that's even in the cards, make sure that you subscribe at theathletic.com so you can listen to the podcast in full.